message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. And I've got a question for you. You can come over here and then you can go. Now, when you sing that first song this morning, In the Sweet By and By, besides practice, how many times have you sung that song in your life? Maybe zero? Yeah, besides practicing for it, have you ever remember singing that song before? No, but you know, it's actually a very, very old song. And your grandma and your granddad, and our grandmas and granddad, they would have sung that many, many times today. So I just want you, as you sing something that is brand new to you, know that for generations they, they've been singing that song, and they would have lit up the room probably singing that song. So, so it did my heart good to see you three young ladies today singing a song that has been treasured for generations and something that's new to you. So, so thank you for that. And I'm, I appreciate you leading us in worship this morning. When it comes to explosive power... Uh, there's a few things in, in life that maybe give us a little demonstration of what it is to truly have explosive power. Uh, one of those things that comes to my mind when I think of something like that is uh, a nuclear bomb or an atomic bomb. And, you know, if, if we go back even 100 years ago, uh, that would not have been in existence. They were just starting to, to discover things like atoms and neutrons and, and all those different things. And there were a few men... Uh, uh, Enrico Fermi and James Chadwick and Leo uh, Sizzlard that were kind of instrumental of doing the scientific work that said, man, there's a lot of energy here. And they didn't really have in mind perhaps just a bomb, but they saw the, uh, the unlimited potential of the power of that. And as they did more and more research back in the 1930s, all of a sudden it, it wasn't too long before, uh, man, you can say for good or for bad, you know, began to harness that power and even turn it into something that could be as destructive, as powerful as the atomic bomb. But when I think of something that's just explosive power, you know, that's kind of the picture that I get. Do what? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we had to have an Alabama comment. And anyway. <laughs> but you know... <laughs> Yes, I would laugh too. I would laugh too. <laughs> but you know, it's one of those things, guys. I, I want to challenge you this morning that, that probably one of the most explosive potential powers that we have in our lives is the blessings that can be passed on from parents to, to children. And I don't say that just to be dramatic and say, okay, you, you have atomic power. No, I really believe that there is probably more that we can do with our words with our prayers, with our love, into the lives of our children that can encourage them, shape them, mold them. Uh, I'm not saying this apart from the will of God and certainly not apart from the power of God, but, but that you are uh, in a way to be able to give this, let the power of God come through you in the words that you give to your children. And yet I, I also realize that in the busyness of life that sometimes blessing your children and really setting aside times for blessing and being very specific and intentional blessing is one of the things that can really get lost in the day-to-day race of, of family life and life in 2018. I say all that because in Genesis chapter 49, where we left off last week, Jacob knows that he's about to pass. 
God has given him kind of the, the mindset, the intellect that, okay, you, your hours uh, are limited. And, uh, and it, in that final kind of breath that he has, these moments, he is as sane as he has ever been in all the years. The Bible says that he passes at 147. And again, it, it's unbelievable to us that somebody can live to 147 years old, but uh, because of just the time and the way that God was doing things, uh, men did. Some men lived that old back in that day. We'll see that Joseph, I think he lives to 110. So it, so it was one of those that wasn't usual, but it wasn't unusual. But in these 147 years, you would think that a 147-year-old, I mean, how many of you that are at least in your 50s or 60s right now can notice a little bit of a diminishing factor going on in your mind? Okay. How many of you that are spouses of wives of somebody who's in their 50s and 60s would say, yes, I can testify to the fact that there's a little diminishing going on. And yet I would promise you guys that at 147, I don't know that Jacob ever saw spiritually, mentally, emotionally as clear as he does in these two chapters. Last week we see that even his own son, Joseph, thinks that he's messing up when he's about to bless the two children of Joseph, these two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and he's about to bless them. And you always did the blessing, the, the biggest blessing, the greatest blessing, to the oldest. And so it kind of went in line there. And it was the right hand that was always the hand of the greater blessing. And he's, and he's about to bless these two children of Joseph because he's adopted them because he wanted Joseph to have the double portion, really to have what we call the birthright. And so he's doing this. And as he goes to bless these two children that had been lined up strategically, oldest to the youngest, we see Jacob do this incredible thing. that he switches his hands, he crosses his hands, and he blesses the younger over the other. He blessed them both, but he gave the greater blessing to the younger one. And, and I said, what a sign of the gospel there. You know, we see so many things that are just a, a, a forementioning of what Christ would do for us. That God's blessing has been bestowed upon us because of that finished work of, of Christ. And so we see that. Well, if you remember, there's also these other boys, now men, that have grown up. These other sons. And so chapter 49 is another one of those chapters that if you're not really, really careful, you're going, okay, it's just a bunch of names. It's a kind of description of these boys. And it's Jacob blessing his sons. And to be honest with you, he uses a lot of symbolic and figurative-like language. And so you can really do a lot of head-scratching. What does he mean? Why doesn't he just say, hey, Simeon, you're a good boy. I love you. And why does he kind of keep it real simple? Well, he doesn't do that because I think he's truly under the inspiration of God and being led by God's Spirit to bless these sons and to leave with them a legacy. Now, remember that this is a guy that really had more mistakes than he did, you know, he had more failures than he did promises that he just really achieved. Jacob didn't have, for a man who's in the covenant and the grandson of Abraham, who should have really had his act together, he really had his kind of act not as together as it should be, which really gives all of us a whole bunch of hope. But one thing that he does there at the end, God, by his grace and his mercy, gives Jacob the ability to have this time that would have been very familiar in that culture. That as you were on your deathbed, as you were taking your last breath, it was not unusual. We see this biblically happening in a lot of families where they would call in the sons and there would be this passing of the blessing. You now are what we would say in, in our terms, kind of the man of the house. 
But when he said it, when they said it in biblical times, it was really the spiritual leader. It wasn't just, okay, help mom out with the finances, make sure that things, the doors are locked and all these things were done. But really this blessing was a spiritual blessing. And it was kind of saying, okay, now you are the spiritual leader of the home. It was very familiar for that to happen. We see occasion, occasion, uh, after occasion of that happening in Genesis. And it happens here. He begins to bless them. And he blesses them both by being, uh, you know, telling them about their lives, but also this is a blessing that God has bestowed upon him. It's prophetic. Now, not all of us are going to be prophetic in our blessing our kids. Most of our blessings are reactive and hopeful. Okay, we're reacting to what we already know, and we're hopeful for more things to happen in the future. Not too many of us have been given visions of God, perhaps, of what our children will be. Here, God really did do something that may be a little bit out of the norm, and that he gives Jacob kind of a a look into the future of what's going to happen with these sons. And so his case is a little bit different from ours, but maybe not 100% different. Here's the similarity. Even though this was 1,000 years ago, I, I promise you, as much as those boys needed the blessing of their father that our children need the blessing of their parents today. I shared with you some, uh, and uh, sorry for repeating those who have heard that story before, but, you know, I, I never doubted growing up uh, that my dad loved me. Never doubted that. Uh, dad was one of these. Uh, he was from that era. I love you, you know, kind of thing, but I show it in actions. I don't really say the words. And, and I truly cannot remember. I never doubted being loved by my dad at all, ever growing up. He just always showed it. And yet I never remember hearing those words. I never heard those words. And, and it wasn't out of characteristic of a lot of different guys from that era or out of characteristic of a lot of different guys, not even in that, just that era. And went away, got married, went away. We were at seminary. And I'll never forget. We were about to hang up the phone after a conversation, a short one, because back in those days, you had to pay for long distance, and I was a seminary student. <laughs> and so everything was short and sweet, and I'll never forget. I love you, son. You could have raptured me up to heaven at that very moment. That's about all I needed, you know. I said, I love you, Dad. From that moment on, I mean, this is years and years ago. For the last 30 years that we had relationship before his passing, there wasn't a single time that we were on the phone. We would call, did you see that call? I cannot believe. Or, why is Fromm not connecting with, you know, why is he not passing the, the ball? Why aren't they running the ball? Why don't they bring in this guy, you know? And we would call about sports and this, that, and the other, and there wasn't a single time that we wouldn't talk on the phone. Love you, son. Love you too, Dad. I love you, Dad. Love you too, son. And it became part of that, uh, our language. But up to that point, I mean, I was in seminary. I was 23 years old. Never doubted it. Don't feel sorry to take pity for me that, that I grew up in a home that was unloved, that I was unloved. I was greatly loved and greatly taken care of. I just didn't hear that blessing. Three simple words. When we look at the scripture, I, I want to challenge you that even though it was ancient times, that the dynamics of the parent blessing of their children are, are still so needed today. 
I think God has incorporated that into our very fiber and our very soul. And many of you are in this status of life where one of your parents now resides in heaven. And you would long, you would do anything to hear one more time. Love you, son. Love you, daughter. And we begin to see how precious that is. But during our life, because, and especially for young families, this is not, please don't hear this as picking on young families. It's sympathy because I realize, man, in the busyness of life, that we're not strategically and intentional sometimes to really intentionally bless our children. And not just with the words, I love you, but to really sit down and and to really give them the the blessing that, that we love them, that we are for them, and that we see God doing amazing things in their life. So needed. So needed. And, and so we begin this passage, and if you look in verse 1, it, it kind of sums up what the whole chapter is going to be about. Genesis 49.1, Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I might tell you uh, what shall happen to you in the days to come. He, he said, I, I've got a word for you. And this was, is the, actually the prophetic part that God had given him, kind of a prophetic vision of what was going to happen for generations to come. And to me, this is the grace of God on two accounts. Number one, that it kind of shows the covenant being kept from Abraham that was established with Abraham. And even though we, we see that Jacob didn't have the greatest spiritual life at times, that God keeps his word and he's faithful, even when some of his saints are not faithful, that's hopeful for me and you. But it also shows us the grace of God that, that Jacob doesn't have to go to his death and breathe his last without seeing this continuation. I mean, can you imagine parents, even young parents that are here today, how important one day it will be when you are at a place like this, that that if God would give you a vision of what happens two, three generations down the road, what a blessing that would be. To see God's faithfulness through the generations, especially if you have a messy family, and this is a messy family. And yet, the grace of God extends that hope. The covenant continues. And for the next 32 verses after this, he begins to bless his sons. And and in there, I see three characteristics of this blessing. The first thing, the the blessing is very personal. Now, when you have one child or two children, it's easier to be kind of personal. When you have four children, it starts to get a little bit, there's this collective, y'all come. Not just Rory, come over here. All of a sudden it's this collective call, like calling cattle. And, and you just, you know, you're calling them in because there's a bunch of them. Uh, here you got 12, you know, that he's going to be calling. He's got a lot of sons. And can you imagine, mamas, that instead of going down the list of names, that, that you're just going to collectively go, okay, guys, come over here. You're going to kind of cut it to the chase and to the quick, and you say, come over here. But the first thing that we see in this blessing is that he's methodically going to go from son to son to son to son to son to son to son. He's going to be very personal. And so one of the things that we see about this blessing, that as we bless our children, uh, again, I'm not saying that it's super easy if you have one or two. It's just easier than if you have four or five or six to be that intentional and that purposeful. Look what it says in verse 28. Skip all the way down to verse 28 real quick. And all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. 
This is what their father said to them as he blessed them. Blessing each with what? With the blessing suitable to him. In other words, there was something that... He, he saw that there was a distinction. There was probably some common traits among brothers. And yet he saw a distinction in each one of the brothers. And so the first part of this blessing is that even when it gets crazy and chaotic, guys, and you just want to do that collective cattle call, that we would say, okay, no, in, in blessing my children, I really want to do it individually. I want to do it personally because God has a unique construction of their mind and their heart, their emotions, their mentality, everything about this. They are in a unique creation of God, and I'm going to treat them with the honor that they are unique individuals. Kelly Perry, I know that time and time again we go back to your twins. I mean, you're, you're the poster child for God's creativity. You know, you're, you're two girls. You know, because their demeanor... I mean, I laugh at the pictures that I see sometimes because I'm going, man, I can peg those two. But how beautiful that is. How wonderful that is. That God in his uniqueness gives even those that are twins, those that share so many common things in life, that he gives this uniqueness. So the first thing that we see there is that, that God is very, very personal in this. Jacob is, long, uh, is this way too. He doesn't just call them together and say, okay, sons, I bless you, live long and prosper. He, Star Trek wasn't even around at the time. So he couldn't have said that, right? But it's one of those things that he doesn't just kind of do this collective blessing where he just kind of throws it out there. Now what we see is that he's going to be very, very individual. That he doesn't join them together, but that he does. Uh, the only time that we see that is a little bit with Simeon and Levi because their future was going to be the same. And they are kind of combined, and yet he still deals with them on an individual basis. This is very, very important because there is a tendency, I think sometimes more in mamas than daddies, to do everything equal. Carly is, uh, especially at Christmas time, I mean, she's got receipts out. We spent 10 cents more on this child than the other child. And I'm going, you know, what can we buy for 10 cents so that it can be the exact total and, and I'd go, it doesn't really matter. But for Carly, she just wanted this equality. She wanted both of, the, both of those girls to know that they were loved. And I thought that was a little bit, you know, she, but there, if there, not only the dollar amount, but it was six and six or seven and seven gifts. You know, it had to equal. Not that, that they were the same gifts. She picked out things that were very, very personal. But there was an equality there. And I understand that, but yet in that equality, they were always very, very personal gifts. That's what we see going on here is that, you know, they're all going to get a chance to get God's blessing. They're all going to receive something from, and yet there's this personal touch with each one of them. Favoritism is, is unhealthy. And we know that this family in particular is prone to that, that it's been generational time after time that Abraham has passed it down to his son. His son has now passed it down to Jacob. Jacob has now passed that down to his sons, that this favoritism of kind of going, okay, Joseph is the best, Benjamin's the second best. And so it's easy in our mentality, especially when it comes to performance, to do that. I mean, I don't think that we intend to do that. But it just kind of slips out in time. I just wish that you were a little bit more of a better studier, like your brother or like your mother. Or, which was always good if you happened to be the one that was the studier. It was always a really heavy weight if you weren't. And yet, 
That leads to the second point. We are to do this in a very personal way where it's very personal to them. But one of the things that we must strive for in the blessing, I think, and I think we have to kind of counteract some of the natural parental inclinations, is that the blessings need to be honest. I think this is, I, I told Carla, I said, I hope that you pray for me this morning because I said, I, I just want parents to hear this. I, I want myself to hear this because I think sometimes, because we love our kids so much that sometimes we don't see that we really need to be honest both with ourselves and with them, that a true blessing is going to be very, very honest about where they are in life. But sometimes that's going to kind of go against the drain of what we even consider a blessing. When you think of a blessing, we think of something good. Oh, you are so beautiful. You sing so well. You dance like Fred Astaire. You, you do whatever, and you just do really do these. We pick out the good qualities, and we list all these, and that the blessing is, here's all the good things about you. And, and yet, guys, never forget that the Bible is about messy people, messy families. Everything's a mess everywhere, except God is not messy. And he's the one that brings order back to the messiness that we have. But sometimes we have to be honest about our mess. And I believe that one of the parts of a true parental blessing to the children is that that we admit that it's kind of a mess. And I'll tell you the reason why in just a second. Look at verse 3. This is the oldest, Reuben. This is the one that should have the birthright. By tradition, he's the oldest. And so by tradition, he should get the double portion. He's not going to get it, and we're going to see why. Now look at verse 3 and tell me if you think that this is a blessing. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. That kind of sounds like a blessing, doesn't it? Ah, I'm a strong guy, and you're a strong guy. You're the first fruit of, you know, of this manhood that I have. But look at verse 4, guys. You're as unstable as water. Is that a blessing? As unstable as water? You shall not have preeminence because you went up into your father's bed. Then you defiled it. You went up into my couch. Not to be too graphic, but to be biblical, Reuben has slept with one of the maidservants of of his father. He's on his deathbed. I mean, don't you just, man, we should just forget this. We just should forget this. Why be honest? Why not let just bygones be bygones? Why why should we be honest with our children? Not just on the deathbed, but why in our blessing of our children is there a desire for honesty? Why would we think that that is biblical? Because if we don't deal with mess, we don't point them to a Savior, guys. This seems harsh, but I think it was spoken lovingly, and I, was spoke, I think it was spoken honestly. One of the great mysteries of the Bible is that we have record of things that were said, but we don't know really the tone of how things were said. Now, you look at that verse, guys, and, and you answer. Andy, do, do you see, you know, do, do you think that this is 
a 147-year-old man who's going, man, you are as unstable as water. There's a finger pointing that he says this with a vengeance, that this was the mistake that kind of kept him from the birthright. Or do you think that there's a brokenness? Do you think that there's a tenderness and yet an honesty about this? I'm not trying to lead you in one direction or the other, even though it may sound like that. How do you really think this came out? You're a young father. Disappointment? And it could be as much of a disappointment in his own self as it was in his son. Again, he's not the stellar example of true faithfulness here. And yet what I see, I see a lot of tenderness in there too. I don't really see it as a scolding as, hey, before I take my last breath, I want to take you down one more time for this great sin that you had in your life. I, I see this tenderness. Man, we're in a mess here. And, and, and actions have consequences. When I do parenting seminars, one of the things I, I try to put in there is kind of my second rule of parenting is that we have to be very, very careful to make sure that we teach that actions and choices have consequences. And, and when we live in a world where just we want to kind of cover up or excuse away or not even notice the messiness of our kids and the messiness of our own lives, then, then we're really not doing them a favor. All we're doing is delaying that eventually there's going to be a consequence. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with family problems and I'm going, okay, guys, you seem like this is the end of the world because your 12-year-old or your 13-year-old has done this. I promise you it's not the end of the world because if we have correction here, if we're able to see consequences and there's a repentant heart and they change, then they're experiencing it at 12 and 13. And the cost at 12, 13 is very minimum as opposed to 35 and 40 when you could lose your job, lose your wife, lose your kids, lose this. And so let's learn the lesson now. But in order to learn the lesson, guys, what we have to do is be honest. When we think of blessings, we're thinking, man, you're so smart. You can do math in your head. You can count every one of your toes. You're just a smart person. <laughs> and yet part of the blessing that we see here in, in this blessing, because it says that he blessed every one of his sons. Now, remember all this time, even Reuben is still part of the covenant. Okay, he's going to be one of the 12 tribes. This has not been taken away. This is the grace of God in the midst of his sinfulness that what really should be taken all the way out of the picture, he's not taken out of the picture, but there's consequences to his actions. And guys, this is a very, very important lesson for, for us to teach our kids. Look at verse 5 and 6. We go on to Simeon and Levi. He says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel, O my glory. Be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. What is all that? You might remember that um, their sister uh, was raped. Again, I realize this is family and trying to not be graphic and yet it's biblical there, there was an offense against the family these brothers took it very seriously they went to this place called Shechem where these people were this clan of people and they eliminate the Shechem lines they just didn't say okay you're the one that did it and they take him out they take out the whole clan it's a genocide and it was not the will of God there's times in the, in the Bible where the, the God says look it is my will for you to go in there and do this and we still scratch our head today because we're going okay why how can a loving God do that? And yet there's times that it was very much commanded by God. This was not one of those times. This was an impetuous, violent 
ruthful two brothers, and, and, and they go after and they take out this whole clan of Shechemites. And Jacob comes to this point and he said, look, you, you can't have this place for me. I still give you my blessing, but I'm going to be honest about this. This has consequences. And so I can't put great favor in you. He said, I can't come in, into your council. Why? Because you're hotheads. You're impetuous. Now, is that mean-spirited or would you consider it wise? If you were giving advice to your friend about their sons, would you say that it was wise? Yeah. Man, I wouldn't trust your son with that because they haven't proved to be too trustworthy. You can still bless them. They're still going to be your kids. You're not taking the blessing away. They're still part of the covenant. But, you know, they're probably not the two out of the twelve that I would trust with counsel. Why? Because they're hotheads. They don't think through things. Actions and consequences. It's part of the blessing. And teaching them while they're young that actions and choices do have consequences, hopefully so that they can eliminate a whole bunch of those by the time that they're 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. And they're not doing that at 30 and 40 and 50 and affecting many more people at that point. You teach them that... uh, I don't believe that this is a curse to them. It's to make them aware that there are consequences of sin. And yet there's grace. In fact... Anybody know what the descendants of Levi, what they get to do? They're the priests. He said, okay, I need some people. You're not going to have a land. We're not even going to give you a second land because we're going to kind of station you throughout the other lands with the other tribes, and you're going to be the priestly order. Don't think that this is a scolding to the point of, you're out of here. You're dead to me. This is nothing like that. This is a blessing, but it's honest. Here's how you've been. And because of your choices, and these, you know, your choices have consequences, I can't trust counsel to you, but then eventually calls them out to be these spiritual leaders. It seems kind of contradictory there, but by the grace of God, he calls them into something that they can be, even if they're not those people right now. This is the hope of honest blessing in the lives of our children. Carly and I used to watch American Idol when it first came out. I mean, we still watched it some over the years, but especially when it first came out, and I can remember several times when they would do the auditions part. And maybe you did this too. Maybe you're going to go home and go, Bobby and Carly are the two cruelest people I know in my life. But there were some people, and you know it's all for TV drama and all that, people that cannot even sing get up there. And we would always say, their mama must not love them. Because <laughs> if a mama loved that little boy or that little girl, that mama would have said, son, you can do a lot of things good, but you cannot sing a lick. And you don't need to go on national TV and make a foolish display of yourself and our family. <laughs> What's well, that honesty, guys? It's that honesty. I mean, we can look at that. And what, isn't the most loving thing to do in a situation like that to your child? Well, you're just crushing his dreams. It's a nightmare. It's a dream, but it's a nightmare because the boy can't sing. I mean, I'm being very serious. That in that honesty, that we bless and we say, man, this is what I see God doing in your life. I don't see God making you a famous singer. (laughs) But here's what I see God doing in your life. But it's that honesty. Because of the gospel, we can be honest with our children's sinfulness and we can be honest about their strengths. Look at verse 9 and 11. 
uh, 9 and 10, I'm sorry. Judah is the next line. He's the fourth oldest son. It says, Judah is the lion's club. From the prey, my son, you have, uh, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares arouse him? The scepter may, uh, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Now, again, you might read that and go, okay, I'm kind of lost. If we had a lot of time, we could expand this out. Basically, here, this fourth in line, uh, Judas had his own mistakes. But he also, if you remember back several chapters ago, when it came time to stand before Joseph, at that time, he didn't know that it was their brother, Joseph. And he was representing for, for Benjamin, the youngest brother. And he said, look, you want to keep Benjamin? No, take me instead. And we see this very Christ-like action out of Judah. And this is when Joseph began to cry. You know, it was several chapters ago. And he begins to cry out because he says, my brother's heart has been changed. This is not the brother that I remember when I was a teenager, but now over these years. Because, look, he is willing to put himself in line and be his own death to save his brother. Jacob sees that. God sees that. And God says, okay, Judah, it's your line that the Messiah is going to come from. Uh, this is the the kingly tribe. This is where King David's going to come from. He is part. And when we see in Revelation, we see the fullness of that. And and I think Jacob got a little vision of that from God because in Revelation, they're standing there and part of John's revelation is that there's these scrolls that detail the future of humanity and the future of the history of the world. But nobody is there able to open up these scrolls until this one who comes and is able to open up those scrolls. Do you know who that is? The person? It's Jesus. You know what they call him? What that verse calls him in Revelation 5? The Lion of Judah. Here comes the Lion of Judah. Now this is pretty cool, guys. <laughs> Stay with me. I, I know I'm geeky when it comes to theology. I know I'm really geeky when it comes to these. But, but do you not see this, guys? Does this not excite your heart? That in Genesis, that we have a God who's saying, this is what's going to happen in Revelation. I mean, does that not give you hope when it's, Friday night and it's dark and, and God has promised that the joy will come in the morning and you haven't had joy in a long time and your life is still Genesis and it's still messy and it's all of this that God has said okay but here's the promise here's what I got for you that we have a God who connects Genesis to Revelation and he does it in your life this is the hope that Jacob in just a couple of verses is able to shut his eyes in death and die a man who has blessed his sons but also seen the future that God has not abandoned the covenant because of his own unfaithfulness or because of the messiness of his children. This is our hope, guys. This is our hope. And I say that every week and I, I pray that you don't think I'm just kind of being repetitious but this is the only thing we have to preach. It's the hope of, the, of God's goodness and His grace and His consistency in the midst of our inconsistency. That's all we've got. But that's what we're to make much of. And that's what you're to make much of in the lives of your children. I'll be honest, guys. We've never had to show up at the police department with either one of our two girls. We've never gotten that phone call. But I promise you, my God is there in the midst of that police station. He's in the midst of that. I, I'm, I, 
I'll be honest, I'm glad we never had to face that. By God's grace, not because of good parenting, but God's grace, we never had to face that. But if you had to face that, if you had to go on that 2 o'clock in the morning run, I, I promise you, this is the God who connects Genesis to Revelation, is Lord over you. This is the God who's given you hope in the darkness of night that there is joy in the morning. And I promise you, sometimes in the midst of that police station, that's all you got, folks. That's all you got. We go on. I'm not going to go verse by verse. I want you to be able to eat lunch when it's still lunchtime. Uh, Dan, he, I mean, he's honest. He said, Dan, he said, you're small, but smart, small, but you're wise. You're going to be the judges. We're going to put you in the judicial places here. Uh, Gad, he said, uh, you're going to face attack, but you're going to prevail. In other words, you've got, you got a lot of endurance there. Asher, he says, you're going to farm. You're going to grow crops that are fit for a king. And he goes through each one of these ones, and he begins to say, okay, here's what you're, what you're good at. Here's what, how God is going to use you for the kingdom. Benjamin, he said, you're a wolf. He said, you're going to be fiercely courageous. And he picks out these attributes that he sees in them and that God has revealed to them, not just what he's already seen, but what he sees is the potential of these. And he speaks this into their life. But he tells the truth. Ishkar, he said, you're a strong donkey. And that's the good part. Because he said, okay, you're kind of laid back. You seemingly are kind of satisfied with little. And he says, here's what's going to happen. Because you are satisfied with little, you're never going to be kind of an overachiever. And you're going to actually, that's going to come to your demise one day that you're so satisfied with little. Because what he does, he trades out his lands and he actually gets into a captivity kind of situation there. That's not being mean. He's just saying, okay, here's something I see in you. You kind of have this bent. And so you can correct it or you're going to end up this way. And he didn't correct it. And he kind of ended up exactly as it was foretold. Why do we make our kids aware of their sin? So they can be aware that they need a Savior. And I know that may not preach well in a day and age of helicopter parents and and wanting to fix everything, and I get that. I am a parent, and I promise you that there's that tendency in every mama's heart and every daddy's heart to want to fix things, and yet until they're aware of their sin, there is not an awareness that they need a Savior. And so honesty. The third thing as we close, the third uh, part of the blessing is that they place their hope in God's plans. Look at verse 29 as we close. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron of the, the Hittite. Now, what does that have to do with God's plan? Well, he begins to name Abraham Sarah, Rebecca, and I. And he starts, okay, you're going to bury me where this, uh, this lineage of this covenant that was made, that I made with Abraham, uh, bury me in that land because Jacob sees that he is still part of that covenant. You can bury me on the family plot. Why? Because, God, you have been faithful even though I've had a very messy life. And at times I haven't been so faithful. But he could close his eyes in death, guys, realizing the faithfulness of God. And that was his peace. If you are a messy family with some messy children, this is our hope. And in honesty, we're all messy families and we're all, we all have messy children to a certain extent. 
when we're honest about the sinfulness, we can bring them back to a place saying, okay, even though we've done this, this, and this, here's what God's plan is established. And, and Jacob was able to close his eyes in death, knowing that he could point back to this covenant that God had made with his grandfather many, many years ago. And he's already gotten a vision of how God's going to continue that covenant after he's gone, even in these messy children, that he's going to continue it all the way through Revelation, where this line of Judah is going to open up these seals one day and reveal the end of the world. And that's my challenge to you parents. Speak personally into the lives of your children. Speak honestly blessings into their life. But the reason why you can speak honestly is because God always has a plan for them. God's never done with us. Amen? And even if you've been through eight trials and you're going, I'm just waiting for the ninth trial. I've sat there so many times with, with families that are brokenhearted and they said, you know, we, we live on the edge. And, and I, I kind of get that as much as I can, that this has happened nine times before. And yeah, it's been three good weeks, but we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Why? Because it's happened nine times before. I, as much as I can from afar, I get that. But, but here's the hope of the gospel. I'm not saying that it's not going to happen a tenth time or an eleventh time or a twelfth time. But here we have God is still pursuing that person in their heart. He, he, he's not finished with them yet. And that's why as we bless our children, even in their messiness, we make them aware of that. Uh, through, through sunshine or storms, guys, through victories and defeats, through prosperity or through challenge, we can say, it is well with my soul. Not just because it's a kind of a catchy tune. Not because, oh, that's the spiritual thing to say. We can say it with all earnesty. It is well with my soul. Why? Because things on earth have all lined up and everything's going good? No, because God loves us. He is grateful to, graceful to us, and he has given us the hope of Christ, even in our mess. That's the only reason we can sing, it is well with my soul, and mean it, and not some kind of just, I mean, sometimes it's, we have to sing that in total faith. Amen? And yet, <laughs> and yet, I'm, I'm seriously closing here. And yet, when we sing some of that in faith, have you ever been surprised that God did actually then give you the faith in the midst? That you sing that, not because at the beginning of the song it was well with your soul, but as you began to contemplate that God is faithful, that he's good, that he gives grace, that even by the end of the song that you had a little bit more hope at the end of the song than you did at the beginning of the song. And that just proclaiming that in faith built you a funny way that that happens. It's all a work of God. Let's pray together today. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, I thank you that uh, you so, show us a, a really kind of graceful ending to Jacob's life, a, a life that could have been uh, a full of regret. And Father, I, I can only imagine that there was tremendous regret, maybe even up to this very last part of his life, that more and more and more you began to reveal to him your faithfulness, your goodness, and your grace, even among all the messiness of his family. And so, Father, thank you that you, you are there in the midst of that. And, Father, you're not, you're not scared away by our, our messiness. In fact, Father, you, you gave us somebody that would clean up our mess forever. 
But Father, I pray today that, that we as parents, if we love our kids. That part we get. But Father, help us to be honest. Help us to point out that sometimes when they're sinning and Father, they're rebellious, that we point that out so that we can show them that there's one who come, has come for the, the rebellious ones and that you sent us a Savior. And Father, thank you that you're the God that connects in Genesis a promise that won't be revealed into Revelation. And even in this day that we live, Father, this has not happened yet, Father, but that there's one day that this rider is going to come on the horse and this one's going to come and they're going to say, who is willing and able to open up these scrolls? And they're going to be able to say, hey, the line of Judas come and he is worthy. Father, you're still working some of this out even in our lifetime. And so, Father, we hold on in faith. And when dark and stormy seas come, we sing not just as wishful thinking. We sing with a heart wanting to have faith. It is well with my soul. Father, you're the only reason we can sing that. The only reason we can even pronounce those words this morning with any integrity is because our hope is found in you. Thank you that you have given us your very spirit to bring calmness where there are storms. Hope, where we have lost hope. Fill us with your spirit, Father. Even now, as we would sing this song to you, proclaiming your goodness, as we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.